0: It's the price you have to pay when you are born and raised in a country which has been adjudged to be the most dangerous country for women in the world over and over again. From raging gender inequalities to non-access to education and economic opportunities, from femicide, feticide, domestic violence, feeling unwanted, being killed in the womb, there are a thousand ways in which women are silenced in India. Join me every week on Fridays to deconstruct the very many ways in which women are interrupted and paused in India. Hello and good evening. Welcome to episode 14 of the Women Interrupted podcast where every week we deconstruct the many different ways in which Women's lives are interrupted in India and all across the world. I'm your host, Nilanjana. This week's episode was supposed to be a discussion on safe cities and smart cities. Basically looking at what smart cities mean from a gender lens. Do they mean cities will be safer for women or what, what do they actually mean? However, due to a technical glitch, I had to unpublish uh, the episode and I will try to republish it uh, next week. It's an amazing episode, one of the best episodes I've recorded till date and I can't wait for all of you to listen to it. But unfortunately, that's not going to be this week. That's now going to be next week. But um, I still wanted to stay with the theme of Safe Cities, Safety of Public Spaces for Women in Our Country. And so, uh, this week, uh, staying true to that theme, I'm bringing you a program by the Women's International News Gathering Service on safe cities.
1: Today on WINGS, the topic is Safer Cities for Women, featuring sociologist Kalpana Vishwanath from Women in Cities International.
2: We've all come to a point where we're tired of only hearing the problem. We want solutions. We want to be able to tell people what can be done. What we've done addresses all kinds of stakeholders to say we want a safer city and how it can be done. There's a river of birds in migration, nation.
1: Welcome to WINGS, a series of news and current affairs programs by and about women around the world, produced and distributed by the Women's International News Gathering Service. Kalpana Vishwanath directs Gender Inclusive Cities, a project of the Montreal-based non-profit Women in Cities International. A longtime researcher on women's issues, she has a doctorate in sociology and is deeply involved with the Jaguri Women's Resource Center in Delhi, India. Here she is speaking to the International Association of Women in Radio and TV in September 2015. Kalpana Vishwanath.
2: Jaguri is a very old women's organization based in Delhi. We've been functioning since 1984, so it's one of the early women's rights organizations that arose out of the second wave of the women's movement. And what I'm going to talk to you about today is one part of Jagori's work, looking at how to make cities safer for women. And this is something that we've been doing for the past 10 years. It's become an issue and come into public consciousness much more in the past four or five years, but Jagori has had this campaign called the Safe Delhi campaign for now more than um, 10 years that we've been working on. So, I mean, when we talk about safety, it's not only the experience of violence that we're looking at. Because what we are saying, in fact, is that the lack of safety has many impacts on women's lives. You know, it's not just that you face violence when you go out, but if if you feel you might face violence, what happens is you restrict your mobility. You restrict your choices. You are dependent on a man, on protection, on somebody else all the time. And this fear you pass on to other girls and other women. So what happens is, for example, if we look at the city of Delhi, there's such a lot of fear. Women are constantly taught to fear in this city. I'm not saying there are not cases taking place. But the extent of fear actually is very high, probably higher than the actual experience of violence. So what happens is women become seen as victims. So the language then becomes one of protection rather than one of rights. And what we've been trying to say is that safety is a right. It's not that you want the police to protect you. It's not that you want men to protect you. But you actually want the right to be free, to move around the city without fear of violence. So when we talk about creating safer cities, often the response is just in terms of, oh, the police should be doing this or the police should be doing that. But in fact, when we talk about safety, we need to have a much wider discourse. We need to talk about the way that we plan our cities today. Are we planning cities for gender inclusion, for accessibility, for women to use comfortably? Do we plan transport so that women can use it as much as men, as much as anyone else? There's a lot of research from around the world which shows that women, in fact, use transport very differently from men. Men make one trip in the morning to work and one trip back in the evening back from work. But women make more short trips during the day to work, to drop their children, do the grocery shopping. So if transport is planned according to the way that women need it, we need to address a range of stakeholders, not only the police. And this is something that we've been trying to say for a long time that policing is only one part of the process of creating safer cities. We need to talk to urban planners. We need to talk to transport planners. We need to talk to the municipality. We need to talk to local governments to say, what is it you can do to, in fact, build and create cities which are safer? Now, women's daily life in the city is a varied life. You know, it includes using public transport, going out at night. In low-income neighborhoods, it includes waiting for water, using public toilets, going for open defecation, a very varied kind of use of public space. So when we talk about designing and building safer and gender-inclusive cities, we need to look at public spaces first and foremost. How do we design it in ways that promote engagement and inclusion? I mean, the opposite of promoting engagement and inclusion is really building gated communities where everyone builds a safe haven within their community, but the streets are no longer safe. How do you, in fact, create lively streets which are safe to use? We have to look at several factors, including spatial factors, visibility, how a public space is used, who is there in a public space. And these factors all have an impact on the way that you perceive safety. And as I mentioned, public transport is a key element because mobility is central to urban living. You have to be able to move around freely without fear of violence. And for example, a lot of work nowadays is being done on what is known as last mile connectivity. You may have a safe bus or a metro route, but how do you get to your home or to your workplace from the metro station? It's not enough to have safe public transport, which doesn't take you all the way home. So I just want to share with you, Jagudi has been doing this work in Delhi for several years, as I mentioned, and in 2010, we did a survey of 5,000 people in the city. Almost 4,000 were women and 1,000 men were also asked about uh, not just their experience, but what they witnessed in public spaces. So for example, 95% of women reported having faced some form of sexual harassment in the past year. It is high, but if you look at global statistics, very, very high percent of women report having faced some form of sexual harassment in almost every city of the world. New York, London, Tokyo, Singapore. This problem is now being spoken about. It was earlier just seen as something that you live with. So for example, you have groups in in the US called Stop Sexual Harassment, Uh, groups in the U.K. which are talking about visibilizing this form of violence that takes place every day on the streets. Even in Mumbai, in Kerala, in Guwahati, in other parts of the country, reports are coming out which show that over 90% of women in their everyday lives face some form of violence which they need to deal with and address. One of the things that we've been trying to do through this campaign is to expand the notion of safety. Because often when you talk about violence, people think of rape. We may not face rape on an everyday basis in a city, but you certainly face catcalling, someone making comments at you, someone brushing against you in the public transport, someone following you home from your bus stop, from the metro station. Stalking is something which is becoming increasingly spoken about now. A lot of young women face stalkers. And of course, now we have the entire area of cyber stalking also, which is not just physical stalking. So what were some of the key findings that came out from all the research that we did? One was that women of all classes face violence when they step out into public spaces. The most common spaces were the street, public transport, and waiting for public transport and markets. So it is actually in the process of everyday life that you're constantly negotiating some kind of discomfort, harassment, violence, we found that young women are in fact the most vulnerable age group. And this is an important finding because we need to work with giving young women the confidence to deal with sexual harassment when it takes place, but also how to, how to ensure that it doesn't happen. What are the different kinds of ways we can work with young women? Uh, In the the research done in India, we found that harassment takes place both in the day and the night. Certainly at night, it becomes more unsafe, but even in the daytime, there are issues uh, that women feel afraid of. And poor infrastructure, etc., play a big role. And finally, very important is that the burden of safety remains on women. So women are constantly told that you have to... Either not dress like this, not go to these places, not be out at night. I don't know if you remember two years ago in Canada, there was a big um, furor when a police chief came to a, girl, a, a university and told the women that don't dress like sluts, then you won't be sexually har- harassed. And that began something globally which was called the Slut Walk, which was really to say that how do you define women? If you say that women invite sexual violence upon themselves, you are shifting the burden of the problem from the society to women, from men to women. So women need to police themselves.
1: On WINGS, you're listening to sociologist Kalpana Vishwanath, speaking about her work with the Joggery Women's Resource Center in Delhi, India.
2: So what we've done in, in our work really is we've realized that it's a multi-strategic approach that we need to take. So if you look at these four circles that we looked at, the first one right on top is generating knowledge and evidence, is to really unwrap, unravel what exactly are the dimensions of this problem. How serious is it? Who faces it? Which parts of the city are unsafe? Who are the perpetrators? Who are the stakeholders who need to be involved? And then the three other um, circles that we have here are actually three broad areas of intervention The first one on your left is what conventionally we look at, which is policing the legal framework and support structures. We need to strengthen these. There's no doubt about that these need to be strengthened. On the other hand, if you look at the right, which is gender-inclusive urban design, this is an area which a lot of people have not been looking at yet. How do you, in fact, Plan cities, so that you encourage gender diversity. You encourage diversity of users in a city. And the third final um, set of strategies is community-based interventions. How do we get the civil society to play a part? Certainly the government has to play a part. The, um, The police have to play a part. But do citizens not have a role to play in creating safer societies, safer neighborhoods for themselves? What is it that we as citizens of countries and and cities can do in order to create these safer spaces? How do you respond to lack of safety? One of the um, methodologies that we've been using over the past 10 years, which has been very empowering, is a tool called the Safety Audit. It's been used um, in about 45 countries and it's really a tool to uh, evaluate a public space from the point of view of what makes it safe or what makes it unsafe. So that you begin to be able to define what are the changes that you need to um, make. Because you know, I think we've all come to a point where we are tired of only hearing the problem. We want solutions. We want to be able to tell people what can be done. We all know it's a problem. So we need tools and methodologies which help us define the ways of looking for a solution today. And the safety audit is one of these. So what we did in jagodi initially was we used to make maps like this of the city. What we did was we walked around places in the city. We had a checklist which looked at a range of things from lighting, to the kinds of people, to the state of the pavement, to how open it was to the visibility of the place. Uh, were there women around the place? Were there shops, vendors, windows overlooking it? So really, begin to say, where do you feel safe and where do you feel unsafe? Because there are many parts of the city that you do feel safe. If, it, if you do feel safe, then how do you replicate those elements of safer spaces to spaces that are, in fact, not safe? And I think that is the objective of a tool like the Safety Audit. Um, We've also done it really in looking at low-income neighborhoods and um, slums. There are very specific issues of safety uh, and lack of safety that they face in things like water, public toilets, and other things like that. So we've specifically focused on that also. We've also developed a mobile app called Safety Pin, which has taken the Safety Audit tool and made it into a, a globally available mobile app so anybody anywhere in the world can in fact download safety pin and do a safety audit of their neighborhood. They can also see all the existing safety audits that have already been done. And therefore what we've been able to do through this is much larger number of data collection. This was launched in September 2013, so it's just about two years old. And we have around 14,000 safety audits around Delhi. And if any of you download safety pin, you can actually see all the data that's available in the city. So if you're going into a neighborhood, you can actually see there are red, orange, and green pins. So red pins are really more unsafe areas. Orange pins are areas which are safer. And green pins are, in fact, areas which can be considered safe to some extent. So this is a tool both for individual women who want to traverse a city, they can open up the app and see which parts of the city are safer. They can also input information about it, but it's also used, we also share this information with urban planners, with city planners, with the police, for them to design interventions and programs which address some of these concerns that come up with different parts of the city.
1: On WINGS, you're listening to sociologist Kalpana Vishwanath speaking about her work with the Jagari Women's Resource Center in Delhi, India.
2: Now, after doing continuous data collection, and we continue to do data collection because the city is constantly changing. It's not that you can do a data collection in 2010 and then expect that the same data can be used continuously. So we've actually defined seven broad areas that we work with things like planning, maintenance, public transport, policing, services for women, education, and working with civil society. We've worked with the government urban planners to come up with some women's safety guidelines on when you plan cities, when you plan infrastructure, when you build a road, when you build a flyover, when you build an underpass, when you build a subway. Are there certain factors that need to be looked into? in terms of safety of women. And this has been done with women urban planners, uh, not just women, but urban planners who are willing to look at a gender perspective in the way public spaces are designed. So this is one project that we did. Basically, it's one street. And what we did was we did a survey and we did safety audits in the area. And all the red kind of pullouts that you see are different issues that we noticed in the area like lack of street light or the road has been broken up or there are a group of men standing around there's drug usage there's lack of policing it could be a range of issues that women define as creating unsafety for themselves when they use public spaces Um, we also do a lot of work on public facilities Um, this is specifically a problem which we find in cities in india is the lack of public toilets, the lack of safe public toilets, both in low-income neighborhoods and around the city. We've also been looking at the design of public toilets. How do you design public toilets so that they are, in fact, usable, safe, and friendly? And also, for example, if you look at the picture on the right, that is a design, one design that's been used in Delhi of a public men's urinal. And what we've been saying is that this public toilet, men's public toilet, in fact, is a safety problem for women. Because the way that it is designed, it's very uncomfortable to be able to walk past that. So how do you design even men's toilets so that women don't feel uncomfortable walking by these kind of spaces? Uh, We've done a lot of work with public transport, things like regular gender sensitization with bus drivers and conductors. Today, there are other organizations working with taxi drivers, auto drivers, certifying them on issues of gender safety. Taxis now have a sticker at the back so that you know these taxis have gone through a one hour or two hour gender sensitization program. Really looking at that. Second is, how do you plan transport so that it is gender friendly? It's friendly for women with prams, with children, with elderly people. After all, women still, unfortunately, have the burden of most of the care work in most societies. And of course, there are initiatives that the government is now taking, which is including putting CCTV cameras inside buses as a way of preventing sexual harassment from taking place. So there are many interventions that can be done with bus drivers, taxi drivers, etc. The other area of intervention that we have been trying to work with is really the helplines, women access. Often a helpline is one of your first points of contact with the police or with any service. How do you ensure that those services are able to give the correct kind of information that women need? Because often women are hesitant to go to the police. But the phone women are willing to use. The Delhi police have now introduced even SMS helplines. So if you for example, if you receive obscene emails or SMSs from people you don't even need to speak to the police. You can just forward that SMS to the police helpline, and they will follow up on that. So it's also recognizing that women may not necessarily always want to go to the police, but they want some kind of response to the the violation that they're feeling. Uh, then, of course, having more police women, it's not as if that is the answer to the question, but certainly having a police force which is more diverse encourages a sense of inclusion. Um, We've been doing projects with safety audits, working with the Dwarka police to look at all the areas which are red, try to identify why they are red and how they can, in fact, be changed to green. So is it an issue of policing? Is it an issue of urban design? Is it an issue of lighting? What is the reason that certain spots of the city seem unsafe? And how do you find a solution? The first quick response was that they changed their patrolling routes. So they said, okay, if these are red areas, we'll ensure that our patrol at least reaches these areas once in the evening. But we're also working with the urban body that looks after Dwarka in terms of urban planning, creating lively streets, creating streets which are usable. We've also done some work on bus terminals. We did a sort of audit of some key bus terminals in the city. And we then gave the recommendations to the transport corporation to improve these public spaces. The other thing that we've done has been raising awareness about the issue. We've used online, offline media. We work with students. We work with lower income communities. We work with young men. We do a lot of work with young men. Because if young men are the perpetrators of violence, how do you work with them at an age where you can still change their behavior? For example, Bollywood actually is how young men learn to become men in our country. Parents don't talk to their children about it. In many parts of the country, we have gender segregated schools. So for example, in Delhi, all government schools are gender segregated. So boys and girls don't even learn how to talk to each other. You know, So in the absence of that, Bollywood fills the cultural vacuum you know, and, and the pedagogic vacuum. So you learn that if you follow a girl long enough, she will fall in love with you. Unfortunately, that's what it's being taught. I, I can't say that we've made interventions in Bollywood, yeah, but I think we need to. We write about it. We critique it. We talk to actors and producers. But what we do try and do is we try and deconstruct it. When we work with young men, we show them Bollywood movies and talk about it. They didn't realize, in some cases, that their own behavior had such an impact on young girls' lives. For example, they used to hang around near the bus stop and pass comments on girls. And when the girls told them that, because of your doing this, my parents don't let me go to university, that actually made them sit up and think. It was such a powerful thing for them to understand that it did make them change their behavior. Having said that, Will they treat their wives equally? I don't know. Will they treat their daughters the same as their sons? I don't know. It's a long process. It will take a long time for these things to happen. But what we try and do, is we try and create groups so that there is a group that meets regularly and talks about issues. So this picture on the right is actually one of the young men who's part of our youth group. And he is now a champion on gender rights. He's able to go to other communities, go to the universities, speak on it. And actually, it's very powerful when a man speaks to another man on gender rights. Uh, we use a lot of uh, community radio, and actually we've trained a lot of our young women and men in the communities to actually work using community radio as a way of reaching out to people, because the radio is a very, very powerful medium of communication. I can just give you one example that in a particular area, the public toilets were not being maintained. So we sent out women every evening at 4 o'clock to see which was the time that it was supposed to be cleaned, whether the cleaners came. And after a month, we had enough data to show that it was not being done. We then went with the community radio to the particular municipal councillor who was responsible for this, young boys and girls from the community took an interview with him saying, this is what our data is showing. Now, this is very powerful because both you have evidence and you have the media. So once you use these kind of tools, you, in fact, are strengthening the community to demand rights for themselves. And this was a group of young women who walked around the community at nights doing safety audits. And they said that they had actually never walked on their own streets in their own community after dark. This was the first time that they were able to see the city at night. Once you say, I can tell you why my streets are unsafe, instead of a top-down model where city planners decide how to design cities, you're actually saying, "How do people? what kind of cities do people want? Uh, especially women, especially other vulnerable groups. We worked with disabled women, with women from the Northeast, with domestic workers, women in the unorganized sector. Because it is true that being a woman doesn't mean your experience of the city is the same. If you have a private car or if you use public transport, your experience of the city is very different. And we do a lot of public campaigning. We go to markets, we talk to shopkeepers, we talk to people in the market. And so we use a lot of sort of on ground media to talk to people. So, for example, we have stickers which say that I support a safe city, a gender violence free city. And we asked shopkeepers whether they'd be willing to put up that sticker in their store to get more people to actually engage with the problem. So um, what we've done over the past 10 years is to create a very comprehensive campaign which addresses all kinds of stakeholders to say that we want a safer city and how it can be done. Thank you.
1: That was Kalpana Vishwanath, Project Director of Gender-Inclusive Cities and Board Secretary and former Director of Jagari Women's Resource Center in Delhi, India. She addressed the International Association of Women in Radio and TV in September 2015. Here's a clip from the Q&A. I think
0: um, as middle-aged women, one is always struggling with what do you tell Young women, young girls—you know—you said the burden of safety is on the woman, and I'd like to be able to tell younger people, you know, you go out whenever you want, wear whatever you want, but I'm not doing that, and there's often a struggle. Well, they say, well, you're talking about women's rights, but you're telling me how to dress and where not to go at night, and I'm wondering how one deals with that. Well,
2: I think young women are teaching us how they want to deal with it, you know. So we have movements like this, Stop Street Harassment, Hollaback. They are creating a different discourse, which we didn't do. So for example, there's a group called Why Loiter? There's this whole idea that loitering, which is just hanging around public spaces, is not an activity which is open for women. Women can only use public spaces when they have a purpose. So if you're going to college, you're going to school, you're going to office, you're going to the shop, then you may use public spaces. But if I just want to stand around doing nothing, I don't have that right. When we were young, we didn't even think of it. But a lot of young women today are doing it. So there was a whole campaign about sleeping in a park. So a lot of women went around, slept in a park, and took photographs of themselves. There's another very interesting initiative which I recently came across, Girls at Dhabas. So this is a movement in Pakistan, whereas where young women are sitting in dhabas. Dhabas are these little restaurants on highways where truckers and men hang out, where women never go. But in Pakistan, and it's come to India now, women are just going and sitting and drinking tea in these male-dominated spaces. So I think we are still worried and careful. And it's difficult sometimes to say, go out and do it. But I think it's a new world out there, and they are doing it. And, I think that is something that I'm learning.
1: To hear this and other Wings programs again, email wings at wings.org or visit our daily news feed at facebook.com slash Wings Radio. Wings thanks the International Association of Women in Radio and TV, your local community radio station, Suzette Cullen, and Genevieve Vaughn, whose new book is titled The Gift in the Heart of Language, The Maternal Source of Meaning. The Wing Sound logo is from Libana's album, A Circle is Cast. I'm Frida Worden. This is the Women's International News Gathering Service. Find and subscribe
0: to the Women Interrupted podcast on Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcast, or on Anchor.fm, where you can leave me a voice message with your comments and suggestions. Do tune in next week. Till then, goodbye.